If you are poor and you know it, say amen. amen. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I went to the doctor last week, Dr. Luke, and I discovered some, rediscovered some amazing truths. And so I want you to go with me to Dr. Luke. But having been to the doctor, I was compelled after hearing what the doctor had to say, I was compelled to call my lawyer. So I left Luke and went to the lawgiver himself. I find it interesting that we have so much, I guess, practices or certain behaviors that are considered to be appropriate or politically correct in certain activities or at certain events. You, I'm sure, will be familiar with the view that sometimes they, there are certain things you're not supposed to do at the table when you're having dinner. I think sometimes they say it's not appropriate table manners. There are some things that you should not talk about, I guess, over a meal. I understand that you need to have certain utensils in a certain hand at a certain time. Now, mind you, I believe that the whole purpose is just to eat. But they've added some rules in the process as to how you go about eating. Put the knife in your right hand. Put the fork in your left hand. Please pray tell me, who came up with this stuff? Why do I have to hold the knife in my right hand and the fork in my left? And if I don't do so, some cultured person might tell me that I am not, um, well, sophisticated enough. I am breaking some table manners. Do not put your elbows on the table, for heaven's sakes. Who came up with these rules? There was a Pharisee, according to Luke, who invited Jesus for lunch. Let me tell you the abbreviated version of this. Be careful when you invite Jesus for lunch. He might not follow the protocol regarding what takes place over lunch. In Luke chapter 11, a Pharisee invited Jesus for lunch, and of course he brought some of his friends along, and simply put, and trying to abbreviate this intro for you. While eating, or just eating, Jesus came, sat down, and basically says, where's the food? Bring the food. Well, of course, this shocked the Pharisees because he was appalled that Jesus 
did not go through the usual ceremonial cleansing. So he was shocked. Jesus simply says, well, you've spent your focus on cleaning the outside. It's amazing how direct Jesus could be. And he is a guest at this man's house, eating this man's food, who was a Pharisee, as far as I could see. <laughs> but in eating, Jesus very creatively turned the discussion from this physical ceremonial activity and delve into what was really important, taking the discussion from the ceremonial cleansing to what's inside your heart. You spend time focusing on what's on the outside, and Jesus simply asks a question. By the way, also be very alert, careful when Jesus asks you questions. He said you spend time about the outside of the cup or the plate or platter, but you're not concerned about the inside. Matter of fact, isn't the same person who made the inside of the cup is the same one who made the outside? The answer is resounding yes, and yet we put on the outward facade so that we can show because we are assuming Men only look at the outside and not a concern, are not concerned with the inside of who we really are. Well, Jesus told him that day. And guess what? In the midst of Jesus telling him that, hey, you need to get yourself truly clean. As a matter of fact, he says, you are like concealed tombs. You know, now usually tomb, coffin, there is something in there that is usually not very pleasant after, you know, some things have taken place, that process. But I like the term was concealed because it meant that you may not necessarily see what is truly there. But nonetheless, some people parade themselves to be all that on the outside for the human element to observe. Jesus looked beyond that into the heart of the individual. And having said that, there stood up a lawyer who was in the midst and says, uh, teacher, excuse me, uh, well, I hear you talking to the Pharisee, but by saying that, you are also offending me. And instead of Jesus says, I'm sorry, didn't mean to hurt you. He says, whoa, and to you. <laughs> you too are guilty as charged because you place on our people burdens that you yourself will not even put your little pinky finger on to endure. So you are equally as guilty. Having said this, as we move transition into chapter 12, still to, and I'm impressed and amazed at the number of people who were still there. In chapter 12, verse 1, it starts off by simply saying that there was wall to wall. Well, they probably didn't have wall because they were outside. But there were thousands of people there, almost standing on one another's feet. And yet, Jesus began 
to teach the multitude. And as we fast forward in talking about the importance, but he says this in his opening verses in chapter 12. He told to his disciples, beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisee. Watch out for them. Then he goes on to simply say this, that God cares for you. God loves you. Me saying that to this audience this morning, you know that. You will say, I think, almost as a reflex, amen. You know God loves you. But how much does he love you? Jesus used the example there in reference to chapter 12, that a person would sell, I think, a sparrow, five sparrows for two pennies. God is concerned about that sparrow. He's also concerned about you to the extent that he knows how much hair you have on your head. For some of us, let's leave that alone. But if God is concerned about how much hair you have on your head, something for most people, that is not something of so much of a significance for a God who has much more important things to be concerned about. But the point is this, that if God is concerned about the hair on your head, don't you think that he's concerned about those other essential needs that you might have? And yet, sometimes, I believe, we forget this. Have you heard that Satan has had an affair with disobedience? As a matter of fact, as a result of that relationship, union, they have many children. But then they promptly sold their children into or to the slave master of sin. Now, according to John chapter 8, verse 44, we who were once slaves of sin and of Satan and disobedience are now the and forever the slaves of Christ, citizens of heaven, if you please, children of God. This brings me such remarkable joy and wonder when I think of the value and the greatness of the salvation that we have. My brothers and sisters, the spirit of covetousness, although it has always been among us as a people. In recent times, it has aggressively asserted itself under the aliases of any number of disguises, like web shops, internet gambling, socially responsible employers, they say, the new billboard that says, vote yes, potential contributors to the sporting and educational development of our people. The opium of this evil 
is no respecter of person, no respecter of gender, age, ethnicity, religion, education, or economics. Covetousness. In Greek, it is planexia. In Bohemian language, we call it hoggishness. Or grabaliciousness. This is a subject that is seldom spoken about. It affects most, if not all, men. Those outside the church, as well as those inside the church. And since it is a thing that will damn the soul, we need always to be admonished against it. I told you what Dr. Lucas says in chapter 11, chapters 11 and 12, similarly, but in chapter 12 as well. Let me just read from verse 13. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. This is an interesting, let me pause here as you read through it. Let me summarize simply because of time. Jesus was teaching, as I mentioned earlier, about the value of you, his children, you and I. One might say, well, why this guy in this crowd, where he get off from, what are he talking about? He just showed up and asked this question. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Well, in his life, at that time, obviously something has just recently gone down. I guess his father has just recently passed. I guess that this brother may have been the older brother. I guess he felt that the older brother was taking too much or all. So he's asked Jesus to say, to cause this brother to divide the family inheritance with him. Jesus' answer in verse 14 was very pointed. Boy, I mean man, who appointed me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And then Jesus turned he didn't say any more to that particular man. And he said to them, and if you read the context, he's not talking to the man anymore. But he used the point very creatively, since this man raised the issue. Jesus then says, be aware, be on your guard against every form of greed. Because Jesus detected that embedded in this man's question or comment, request, was greed. Be aware of and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possession. And you know the story that went, Jesus told immediately following the parable of this rich man 
who had a land that was very productive. And after a while, he obviously was reaping in a lot of crops. And he said to himself, as a matter of fact, he said he started reasoning to himself, what shall I do since I have no more place to store all my crop? He says, I got an idea. I will tear down and build bigger bands to store my crops. Then I will start talking to my soul. Then I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat. Drink. And be merry. Pause. Soul, you have many goods. That's good. He can see that. Physical. Laid up for many years. Problem. How does this man know how many years he have? Bold or blind? Next question. Next comment. Here enters stage right. God. God said to him, You fool. You fool. This very night, your soul will be required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? Do you think the man answered him? This man's focus was on the accumulation of material goods. That was all that he was interested in. He had a plan. He could build bigger bands, that he will do. And he said, this is enough to last for many years. How much is many years? Did he check that out first? Did he get clearance to say that he have more than the moment he has? If we transfer that to ourselves, do you think that sometimes we ourselves presume on God's grace? and his mercy, we have this moment, and this moment only. What has been the sum total of our existence to this point? What have we been spending our time doing? Was it tearing down our smaller bands to build bigger ones, so that we can say, at some point, I have many goods later for many years, and then you speak to your soul and says, take it easy, chill out, ease, retire, be at ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You fool, says God, this very night, your soul will be required of you. And now, who will be the owner of what you have prepared? Someone once says that a fool is a man who lays up treasures for himself on earth, but he is not rich towards God. That's a fool. Someone also has said and defined a fool as this. A fool is someone whose plans end at the grave. You've heard this familiar 
saying, where there is a will, there is a... Where there is a will, there's a lot of new relatives. <laughs> right. So all of what you're working for, <laughs> whether you have a will or not, a will might help, but you will find out you get some new relatives, you know, after you pass. This rich man, all that he was accumulating, so he thought he had long life to, I suppose, enjoy the, the fruit of his labor. What it does define, let's put it this way. What is it that defines your life? That makes it a little bit more personal. If God was to summon us to an interim evaluation this morning or this afternoon, to discover what is the true underlying motive for all of our actions, to uncover what we truly treasure in life, would you be uncomfortable if your name was to be called up next? Or would you be nervous that God wants to do an evaluation? Knowing full well that we cannot swing God, we cannot just come looking pretty and smiling and think that God is going to miss what's in the content of our hearts. Or would you, on the other hand, would your attitude be, search me, O Lord, and know that there is no unclean thing, no unclean thought in me? That's a very provocative question to ask. If God was to ask you and me this moment, I need to see you in the back. I need to do an assessment of what you truly treasure in your life at this point. What would be the result? In verse 34 of this same chapter, Luke, it says that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The question could be then asked, where is your heart? Where is your heart? When I was leaving Andrus with my one suitcase, it was brown. All right? It didn't have no wheels and them sophisticated suitcases they have these days. Mm-mm. You lift that. Well, it was small. But when I came to town to enter college, my mom wrote me. She didn't, and by the way, just in case, it was not by email. <clears throat> okay. It was that slow one. My mom wrote, and with all of her letters, she always included these words. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I read it, but I just attached that. That's all normal opening greetings. It didn't mean anything other than, I expect mom, that's how she write it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. That's it. It was not until years later that I wanted to find out what are those seeky first and then those things. But when I found out what those things were, I had to go back up and read to find out what comes before verse 31 and following. So those things could be clothing, could be, well, seeky first, um, 
shelter or property. Um, other could be even relationships as well. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I think in one sense, my mom was very wisely telling me not to be consumed, watch where I place my heart. What is it that I consider to be my treasure? In a way, I think she was guiding me or warning me not to become covetous. Not to become covetous. Covetous, covetousness, I believe, is an inordinate, unlawful, insatiable lust for position, material things, recognition, possession, etc. It is one of the most insidious, dangerous, deceitful, evil, and sinful phenomenon ever to take up residence in the human heart. That's why I went to my lawyer. I went to the Ten Commandments. And it warns us about being covetous. It is eager to get the person who is covetous. It is eager to get, but is reluctant to dispense. And we often meet it with 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But where does this covetousness come from? Have you ever seen it? Have you ever been the victim of covetousness? We believe, I believe, that covetousness is simply finds its rooted source in an evil heart, a carnal mind, a selfish spirit, or a stubborn will. Covetousness, I believe, finds its source, its fertilizer, in an evil heart, a carnal mind, a selfish spirit, and a stubborn will. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Is that very inclusive? Thou shall not cover... By the way, somebody's asking... Where I live, I don't have no neighbor. So I'm free to covet. Well, let me say it again. Maybe we have to define neighbor. Let me give you a broad definition then. If you can think of anybody who you know. And some people covet people who they don't know. You know, people have it bad. Do not cover your neighbor's house, his wife, male servant. By the way, I'm saying his. This is generic. So this could be... She, and here too, do not cover your neighbor's house or her husband, okay, or his, or his wife, male servant or female servant, his ox or his donkey, and here's the all-inclusive, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, that's good to say, but how do we police it? How do we manage it? 
I think it would be absurd for such a law to be placed on our Bahamian law books. Suppose it was there, you know, whatever, however they normally state it. Article so-and-so, subsection this, thou shall not covet. Penalty listed. How will they police it? I believe it would be very difficult, and like I said, absurd to put it there. Why? It could never be enforced. The officers of the law would be powerless to detect its infraction. The outward conduct might be regulated, but the thoughts and the intent of the human heart are beyond the reach of any human law. Human law. But God, now that's another kettle of fish, as you say. This is taking it to another level. But God can see behind the outward actions. He can read the thoughts of our hearts. Our innermost life, invisible to mortal eyes, is laid bare and naked before him. We cannot fool God by external conformity. It was reported by D.L. Moody once to have said that he, referring to God, cannot be imposed upon by the cleanliness of the outside of the cup or platter. I think the Ten Commandment went beneath what may be observed as public conduct and touched the very impetus of all actions, that wicked, covetous desire that prompts one to act. The Tenth Commandment forbids evil thoughts and unlawful wishes. The Ten Commandments forbids evil thoughts and unlawful wishes. How do you prevent someone from thinking an evil thought? How do you call the police for that? Or not just a thought or a wish that is evil. Call the police. 919. It is intended to prevent not only the actual manifestation of sin, but the desire to sin. You see, in God's eyes, it is as wicked to set covetous eyes as it is to lay thieving hands upon anything that is not ours. Let me say it again. To God, it is just as wicked or evil to lay your covetous eyes on as it is to lay coveted hands or covetous hands on something that does not belong to us. Why is this? If the covetous desire can be controlled, there will be no outbreak of a certain conduct. Desire has been called action in the egg. The desire is in the heart. It is the first step in a series that ends in action. And so if you kill the evil desire and you successfully avoid, you will successfully avoid the ill results that it would follow, that will follow it when it is hatched. And eventually, once these things hatch, they develop into other uh, um, ill effects on the individual and a society. You've heard the cure, and I believe it fits here perfectly well when we say prevention is better than cure. Preventing the evil desire 
If you can prevent that, then you won't see the actions. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, or effeminate, or homosexual, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Notice that covetous is named between the thieves and the drunkards. We look at thieves and have no mercy on them. We abhor and loathe drunkards and consider them great sinners against the law of God and the law of the land. Yet, there is far more said in the Bible against covetousness than there is against stealing and drunkenness. We might very well say that covetousness has plunged the human race into sin. It began in the Garden of Eden when Eve saw that the forbidden fruit was good for food, and that it was desirable to the eyes. She partook of it and Adam along with her. They were not satisfied with what God had showered upon them, but coveted the wisdom of God's, which Satan deceitfully, deceitfully told them might be obtained by eating the fruit. I believe Satan has not changed. He is still following the same modus operandi. He is still deceitful. He is still asking you, did God really say that you should not eat of the fruit? Does the Bible really say that gambling is sin? She saw. She desired. She took. She saw. She desired. She took. Three simple steps. But three simple steps that change the destiny. Well, certainly change the course of human relationship with God. So she moved in those three steps from innocence into sin. Now, Eve and Adam are not the only persons who displayed covetousness. Do you remember Balaam? Sometimes we call him the false prophet. Check that out. Some of the things he said did come true, but he wanted more than what he wanted what the king offered. So he stepped, as it were, over the heavenly crown for the riches and honor that Balak had promised him. He wanted to die the death of the righteous, but he did not want to live the life of being righteous. I, 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 I toy with the name. You, you remember what Elisha's servant's name was? You almost sound like Guy Crazy, um, Gehazi. Do you remember his, him? When, uh, of course, Naaman was the man who was healed of his leprosy, and after being healed, he came back and he wanted to say thank you in some tangible form to Elisha and says, look, I'm so grateful. Can I give you something? You know, just, and Elisha says, no, sir. 
And he tried to impose on him, please take something. And Elijah says, no, just, just, just go. Thank you, it's done. Of course, Elijah's servant, Gehazi, was listening to all of this. And he said, what? You're this man rich, boy. This is your chance. Get something, you know. And Elijah, because he knew how hard, he probably had to work to help. But see, Elijah was probably thinking what we read earlier from Dr. Luke about the God who is concerned about the sparrow also will take care of me. And, and well, of course, Gehazi would have certainly interpreted that and said, see, God sent this man here so you can get fixed up, you know. And so, of course, Elijah refused. And he left, being the Naaman's left. But as he was leaving, and by the way, Naaman was on a chariot. He has a, you know, pushover on a track. He ran after him, caught up, well, because he must have been close enough so that Naaman recognized that somebody was coming up, he paused, stopped, and he asked, oh, what's happening? What happened? Is something wrong? You know, he came down with his chariot, and he says, no, no, uh, Everything cool. That's what he would have said, right? But it was Bahamian. And he said, but, but my master, you know, there were just some of the two, some prophets came down from the mountain. There were two new prophets just came. And my master thought, if you can give him something, you know. And, and of course, Naaman already felt like, I, I, I wanted to give anyhow, so, you know, here it is. And, and, and so he loaded him up with some stuff. Clearly, Gehazi was covetous. He wanted something that did not belong to him. And as a matter of fact, if you read the story, um, Naaman was so uh, uh, um, grateful. He, not only did he give them this stuff, he even had some of the guys carry it while Gehazi was walking behind, smiling, until he got near to, to, well, back to the house where it was. And then when he got there, Gehazi said, okay, that's close enough. I'll take it from here. <laughs> Took it in and hid it in the house. In the meantime, of course, you know the story. Elisha asked, and he got and says, he came and stood and says, like, I, so, he said, um, Gehazi, where have you been? Uh, almost sound like, well, to and fro. But he lied. He says, I've been nowhere. And of course, the man of God here speaking, obviously God has revealed to him what has taken place. And he says, oh, Gehazi. Gehazi, my boy. Naughty, naughty. You know, as a matter of fact, and simply put, he says this, you, you will get, you wanted something from Naaman, well, you're going to get more than you bargained for. You, what you got, and you got what Naaman didn't want, and that is his leprosy. And the Bible says, immediately, his skin almost became as white as snow, full of leprosy, went off, then he was dismissed. Do you know that some people are prepared? Now, he had a good relationship with Elijah before. That's my, my master. Do you know that today some people will sell their relationship for a few dollars? You'd lose all of that because of Naaman's, you thought it was just his wealth, some of his wealth, but you got some of those other things he had too, his leprosy. And so today, right in our very country, this island and beyond, there are those who would have sold their relationships, their family, because they were covetous. But you probably don't hear that because, you know, in the leprosy, you had leprosy, you went off by yourself. Nobody even wanted to associate with you, you know. 
And yet there are those who, in a sense, are suffering because of the leprosy and because of their covetousness today. That is most unfortunate, and yet that is a reality. But not only did that happen in terms of Bible time with Gehazi. There's also, and I'll just because of time, just be very brief and simply say this. You remember Achan? You know, just moved into the promised land. God said, don't bring nothing. And he takes some stuff, hide it. What was the cause? Covetous. Do you remember Ahab? Ahab, the man who married Jezebel. By the way, you ever thought about Jezebel? I, I, I'm in a place where I see a lot of names every day. I have never seen on a register a child named Jezebel. I wonder why. It's amazing. I look high and low. I see a lot of funny names I can't pronounce or draw. And yet, I never see Jezebel. Then I start looking under the boy's name. Maybe I'll find somebody named Judas. I, I couldn't find Judas. Why did Judas don't do what he done do? You know, would you say that Judas was covetous? He wanted something that didn't belong to him. He had some regret. It's amazing. But not only that, Nabot, of course, Ahab and Nabot who took his vineyard from him, and um, his wife had something to do with that and setting up the plot. Then what about those in the New Testament? You remember Annie and Safi? Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah. Again, same thing. What is it that motivated these people? All right? Covetousness. Covetousness. And then we have gamblers today and those who facilitate gambling. What is the root cause? Really? What is it? I uh, submit to you that it is simply covetousness. I spoke to a lady about a month ago, you know, and um, I heard them having a discussion, you know, and they said, well, I knew they were planning on which numbers they were going to buy. I said, please, please educate me because I know nothing. Tell me about this. And I learned that there's about 12 to 14 houses. Now, I was thinking houses. But these things are called houses, all right? Some are here and some are there, but there are houses. And they said, but she says, there's a song that says, I ain't asking for much. Well, I understand. They said, I ain't playing much. So that was a similar thing. They said, you're only paying 25 cents. Well, I said, well, well tell me, how many times you, you, you do this thing? You can go at least twice a day. Maybe there are some houses that do this thing three times a day. Well, I, didn't, I was being educated, okay? So I've learned this thing. But I said, okay, so you're doing 25 cents. Okay, um, that's all. Only 25 cents seem to both so insignificant, you know. 25 cents twice a day. Okay, and I start doing a little bit of calculation to, for the sake of time. Do you know how much I'd work out to um, in a year after I said, let, let, me, let me inject you. This lady said this first. She says, I, I never used to gamble, you know. She said, but then my husband, he tells me to try it. And, 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 and when I try it, I win. <laughs> and she's been, she been hooked ever since. One shot. But you know, when she won, some other people lost. And I'm told, because it is a business, the house always wins. That's why the house is there, to win, 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 every day, several times a day. But this person is only doing 25 cents. I work it out for them, and I said, let me see, suppose you do this for the every day, seven days a week, and you, let's say you take off two of the houses, which would have been 14 that they had access to these houses, I guess, but she only doing a dozen of the houses. 
it works out to using 25 cents and doing it twice a day, you, it comes out to $2,190 a year. You say, wow. You say, gee. You know? But see, if she get a little hit in there, and I learned a lot of things that I thought only work when there's a ring, but there's things called boxing. <laughs> you know? And things could go straight. And I, so I was educated. I said, tell me what that meant. And she was very gracious in sharing to me the, the language of the game. But underneath it all, it was still covetousness. And trying, how do you say that to them so that they could understand? It worked. My brothers and sisters, there are those who say complimentary things to those who are covetous. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible says covetousness is sin. Do not be afraid of men who become rich when the glory of his house is increased. Psalm 49, 16, and 17. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. So whatever he, he thought that made him or her you know, um, glorious in the eyes of men, whatever that is, when you die, you will not take that with you. Seek ye first the kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. I conclude then, like I begin, with reference to the word of God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32 through 35, these words. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. May God use his word so prominently in your heart and find your heart in him as the source of your treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.